0: This morning, uh, as Rosie said, or as Becca said, we're wrapping up our, our series in conversations with Jesus. And uh, today we're going to be looking at a conversation that Jesus had with Pilate uh, in the last hours of his life. And at the heart of this conversation is this question that, that Pilate asks Jesus somewhat cynically, somewhat offhandedly. What is truth? So we'll pray and then, uh, we'll dive into this question that comes to us at the end of, heading towards the end of John's gospel here. Lord Jesus, you are truth, and today as we look at the question to which you are the answer, our prayer is that we would, uh, with increasing measure, perceive this in all its fullness, that we would abide in it, uh, that it would free our hearts from the restless insecurity of, of, of self-truth uh, and then be delivered into fullness of life in your truth, out of the slavery of sin and into a, into a new kingdom, into a new reality. Um, that is governed by ultimate truth for your joy and our glory. Uh, We pray these things. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Well, uh, my father is a lawyer, Paul. I was kind of smiling to myself when you were talking about that. He's a rather good one, actually. He contains... Uh, something that is not normally associated with lawyers but is strangely, if you take the time to talk to them, commonly found there and that is a, a cost-absorbing selflessness for their clients, a restless pursuit of the facts or a relentless pursuit of the facts. Uh, my dad is always saying, find the facts and the truth will take care of itself. One of his great loves and one of Paul's great loves is research and digging up old judgments. Are old cases that have a binding and a persuasive direction over the trial at hand, over the, over the matter in question before, before the, the, the court. Case law, case law, common law that sets precedents from, from that, that enable you to decide the outcomes. They're binding over the case before you and help you decide the outcomes of the current trials. Without doubt, the most famous record of case law, of, of recorded law, if I can apply that term, is the trial of Jesus. The findings of this trial are not consigned, though, to some dusty archives in a court library hidden away from the, the vast majority of us, uh, only to be sort of strange seen by that strange breed of forensically minded people known as lawyers. But these transcripts of this trial known as the Gospels, are the most widely circulated documents on the planet and they have been scrutinised and cross-examined and debated and they've been open to discovery for centuries. And the case law, the precedent contained within these Gospels that flows out of this trial that we read about this morning is not so much the finding, although that exists, but a question that is binding on every single human heart what is truth? And have you heard truth's voice? Have you heard it to the degree that it that it redefines or it secures your very reality? I can remember uh, the emergence of this thing known as postmodernism. Uh, when it was kind of trendy to say things like, there is no truth. Uh, school students would run around sort of throwing these sort of talk around, this new language, mainly in jest, mainly just to be clowns really. But there were some serious players, some serious preachers, uh, preaching that your reality is yours and my reality is mine and there is no ultimate truth and you just kind of make that up for yourselves. And people used to use this new culturally trendy deconstruction of binding truths essentially to do what they felt like doing no one can impose a particular ethic or a particular morality was the ultimate goal of postmodernism the subjective nature of relativism and self-actualization was its was its highest virtue its highest goal if you like it was a fun time for, uh, for people like me, it was an open door for the rationalists, if you like, literally to get away with murder. It was amazing to see how quickly relativism and subjectivism disappeared, uh, when you like punch someone in the face or you just took their stuff from them. It turns out that there are some truths, some ethics that are so, that are commonly held, some rules that are applied universally that one person can expect or impose on another. Well, nevertheless, despite the best efforts of us reasonists and the law of non-contradiction, we have managed to progress to this uh, progressive culture that not only rejects completely the affirmation of absolute truth and in particular a God of absolute truth, but we worship and celebrate its demise. It is the highest virtue of humans to be freed from the restraints of ultimate truth that there is a God out there. Something Paul calls folly and foolishness in Romans that leads to human destruction. We condemn, we, the culture around us, condemn as misguided and immoral anyone who would say that there is an absolute truth to which all people, regardless of race or sex or gender or economics or geography, politics, needs to deal with, needs to grapple with in order to achieve human flourishing. Relativism is the established foundation of morality and culture and its guiding governance, our current kingdom, if you like to use the words of Jesus uh, in this passage, and a kingdom in Jewish thinking, Uh, or the way that Jesus uses it, does not not refer to a territory or a geographical space, but actually refers to a conceptual reality. A kingdom is defined by a universally recognized ruling concept or ruling ideology uh, that's found in its king and its ruler. And therefore, is found wherever people exist who adhere to to that culture, to that ideology to that characteristic, if you like, good citizens of the current kingdom, the current culture, hold that if you don't believe that the truth that you see, your truth, should be binding on other members of or people around you, then you are humble and open-minded. You are moral. You are good. However, if you believe that the truth that you see is binding on me or on others, then you are a proud, arrogant, bigoted, prejudiced person. You are bad. You need to be silenced through ridicule and shame and trial by character assassination, beaten into submission. We've seen a very public um, example of this recently, haven't we, with Israel Falau. This is the 21st century world to which Jesus still says for this purpose I was born and came into wo- into the world to bear witness to the truth well people love to use Jesus as a standard for how to be towards others loving and kind and compassionate inclusive tolerant and here we find Jesus making a claim that is central to his whole operation, that is central to his whole purpose, that he he is here to, to, to witness to, that he is the locus of truth. He is here to witness to it and he is here to be it. Not a truth, not a subjective truth that has qualifications attached to it, but the truth In this trial, Jesus establishes both the existence of truth and that he is the pristine embodiment of truth. Jesus is identical with truth. This means that everything he said and did, the life he lived in the flesh, uh, as John starts his gospel with, and John says, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. That all of that life lived in the flesh all represented that which is in keeping with ultimate reality. That which is in keeping with the ultimate disclosure of truth. When Jesus said, and we find these words in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the truth. And the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through me. That is, no one enters into, no one receives the benefits or enjoys the benefits of God and knowing Him personally and His kingdom uh, in this life or the next, unless they first agree with the truth claims of Jesus. He didn't say after that, except in and follow it up with a few other ideas. Jesus attaches ultimate truth to himself. And that only in agreeing with his witness about himself do you enter a kingdom governed and ruled by that truth. Jesus is truth that has come from God and as God, not merely on behalf of God but 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 to be made known as God amongst us. For this purpose, I was born for this purpose I came into the world. Jesus comes. ...into the world as truth, an external truth, a truth of God. According to Isaiah sixty-five fifteen, God is the God of truth. And according to all scripture, history proves this reality. What God promises, he fulfills. What he foretold, he accomplishes. His actions validate his words. And his words perfectly reveal his holiness, his goodness... His trustworthiness and his truth. When Jesus steps onto the page of human history, when he is born, he is the incarnation of God, the very truth of God. Truth that existed before the foundation of the world with God now walks and talks and presents itself to us. It is not hidden away. It is not unknowable. We don't have to kind of scrounge around and make up our own constructions and take our best guesses. To hear Jesus, to listen to Jesus, to encounter him is to encounter the truth. In contrast to the spirit of the age, truth isn't a feeling experienced, but a fact, a fact decreed in eternity, demonstrated in history, history progressively revealed and recorded in scripture and now in jesus this truth comes to us stands before us as he stood before Pilate, and offers the same invitation to us to listen to his voice and in listening to his voice find life in a kingdom that is ruled by a god of good character of good heart of truth It is our grand and great privilege and undeserved undeserved grace to be offered to us the truth about the human condition in Jesus. We could be like Pilate and bring to the table our constructions, our cultural constructions of who Jesus is and what he is about. Pilate asked Jesus in a rather bored manner, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus gives an answer that would have snapped Pilate out of his disinterest and and preconceived ideas. Jesus says, are you asking of your own accord or has someone set you up for this? In effect, Jesus was challenging Pilate to whether or not his inquiry was genuine or, or just merely academic, merely a formality, merely fitting Jesus into a culturally comfortable box for him. And here Jesus pushes back on the sincerity of Pilate, but not to embarrass him. It's interesting about this trial, this great irony in this trial. We could look at the irony of this trial if we wanted, uh, that the defendant is actually the one who's now become the prosecutor, is actually the one who is now running the show. Jesus is the one interrogating Pilate. And Jesus is seeking to open up Pilate's heart to itself, to reveal to Pilate that perhaps is not all that interested in truth, but rather the comfort of his world, a world he rules, a world he is the master of, his own heart, a heart that would sadly lose all hope in a matter of a couple of years. Jesus always checks the sincerity of a person's heart. And we have seen that the whole way through this series. When it comes to Jesus... Are you really willing to hear what he has to say about himself and what he has to say about you? Or do you prefer the comfortable stories that people have of Jesus, that have been fashioned out of the world, that holds as its highest virtue of its kingdom, that you are your own truth, that Jesus has no place to impose truth over your life? We've seen that Jesus confronts this the whole way through this series. The Phoenician woman asks Jesus to heal her daughter. You're a healer, aren't you, Jesus? That's the kind of thing Jesus does. He heals and Jesus challenges her about her own condition, her own heart that needs healing, but needs the healing of forgiveness for sin. It needs Jesus for that, over and above the healing of her daughter. And she could have said to Jesus, how dare you? How dare you call me a sinner? I'm a hard-working single mum raising a child with a disability. How dare you? But she becomes a model of listening to truth and being set free by it. The rich young ruler, a model citizen, wants to make sure his impressive good works are enough. And Jesus tells him that actually you lack That none of his goodness will save him. That only trusting in the goodness of Jesus does that. And his heart is exposed and he is unable to deal with that truth. The despised tax collector, we met him last week, who wants to see Jesus from the security of a tree where his despicable life is hidden away. And he can make his own judgments about Jesus. And he can sneak away thinking what he likes about Jesus. And Jesus calls him down and calls him out. And invites him to come and have a conversation with truth. An invitation to opt for repentance of sin over comfort. Exposure of who he really is over denial. But not in a way that crushes him. But in a way that just sets him free, we see his life transformed. And he goes from from hoarding money to living in generous abundance with those around him. For 2,000 years on, the whole world breathes Pilate's cynicism. It says, we know about this Jesus. We have him pegged and he will fit into our truth. Our design of what God should be like. In another conversation, it was essentially about truth of Jesus, who he is and what he's doing. Jesus tells us that the resources of this world, the great intellect of this world, the progressive cultures, the progressive governances from Rome to whatever, even the very best thinkers are not enough to lead the human heart to truth. Jesus tells Nicodemus, and we looked at him, Israel's most learned professor, that a spiritual rebirth is necessary to perceive the kingdom of God and the rule of truth that, that takes hold in people's hearts. It is for this reason that Jesus come. Jesus comes into the world from the Father to reveal truth, the only truth that matters, that without hearing Jesus on his own terms, you are lost that you are in need of being saved from yourself. To actually have life and have it in the full is not achieved by, by self-actualizations, by getting rid of truths. It is found in giving your life to Jesus. You need to have your heart transformed by truth from one kingdom of self-rule to another kingdom where Jesus rules. And as he has said in this passage, his kingdom is not of this world, it's not political, it's not geographical, it is a kingdom of hearts, it is established in the hearts of people. Jesus who is truth, who bears witness to truth, says in him is life in the full. It is an offer that only Jesus can promise because only Jesus has offered his life as a guarantee for that promise as a substitute for yours. His death that Pilate hands him over to was the means through which God would apply his saving grace to the heart that longs to know truth, to the heart that longs to be set free and have peace that only ultimate truth brings. Here is the truth. You are loved by God in Jesus. And his life speaks to the truthfulness of this claim. And his death and his resurrection applies the promise of this claim to you that you might enter into fullness of life, that you might have the, the human flourishing that the heart desires. As John said about ultimate truth, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world, to condemn the world. The world is already condemned. That's the truth. But here is God's truth. He sent his son to save the world through Jesus. Isn't it great that this truth has not been withheld from us, but has been made known to us in concrete terms? And those concrete terms are Jesus. What is truth? Truth is found in a relationship with Jesus. Jesus. How wonderful that God has provided for us an answer to life's greatest question by sending us Jesus. The question is, will you be like Pilate and scoff what is truth and walk away from it? Or will you listen to his voice and begin a conversation with Jesus that leads to life? We're all about that conversation here at Freeway. We want to know Jesus And we want to make him known. And it's our prayer, my prayer, that you can encounter this Jesus here. In a world increasingly enslaved by error and alienation, seduced by ideas and images that that lead us away to believe a lie, how wonderful to be freed by the truth of Christ into peace. Without doubt, the most pressing question over the human heart is, what is truth? And without doubt, the greatest answer to that question is Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that throughout this series on conversations with Jesus, one thing has kept coming to the surface. And that is the human condition and our need for you. All around, we are told that we don't need you. All we need is to find something of ourselves that makes us happy. And yet you have come into the world to say that that is an empty well. That that just leads to restlessness and, 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 and the increasing demand to consume those around us to to resource our own happiness. And you come into the world to say, actually, the truth of the matter is that you need to be set free from your sin and come into a life with us and that Jesus is the one who... has come to enable this to happen more and more uh, as we as a a kingdom a community of people who know this truth our prayer is that we would proclaim it more that we would proclaim it clearly that in a culture that denies it we would not be um, uh, silenced that the fact that we know the truth would embolden us to live lives of your character and then have the opportunity to speak this into people. So we pray this now for us and for our church and we pray for those who have not yet known the truth, who, who still kind of maybe look at Jesus a little like Pilate, not willing to have their hearts open to truth. We pray that your spirit would just do a gentle violence on their soul that they might come to know truth and have life in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.